0: the old stone house in Richmond is often called the Poe House because the legend grew that the writer once lived there, that story is not true. Poe never did. How then did the connection between the man and the house eventually become a reality and not just an idea? After countless years of interest in Edgar Allan Poe and over three years of research today's speaker has gathered the facts and stories to bring it all together to show how the house and the man are connected and how the old stone house is worthy of preservation in its own right and certainly worthy of being a memorial site for the internationally known and respected author who called Richmond home for quite a while. Rosemarie Mitchell, a native of Texas, has lived in seven different states but claims Richmond as her home because it is here that she has lived the longest. She holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Richmond and a master's from the University of Virginia. She has worked in education most of her career, teaching English, speech, drama, filmmaking, and creative writing. Rosemary also worked in radio for WRNL and WLEE in Richmond and in advertising for Miller and Rhodes. Currently, she teaches yoga and stays involved with theater groups. In her spare time, Rosemary dabbles in real estate investment, mostly small apartment houses apparently, and so in the process has also learned to be a manager, a plumber, a carpenter, electrician, gardener, and public relations agent. Her her book, cover of which you see here, The Old Stone House, is her first major research and writing project, and it took her four years to complete. She's currently working on a book based on her experiences with her tenants. I hope none of you are in the room and writing a mystery with a famous girl detective using some of the techniques Poe used in his detective stories. So please join me in a warm VHS welcome for Rosemarie Mitchell.
1: Thank you for coming. I'm excited about being here. And I have a whole different perspective on the Banner Lectures. I have been out there many times. It's very different from up here looking out that way. I'm excited to be here. Um, I have enough information. We could be here until maybe 3 o'clock, but they told me I can't do that. So we'll have to stop in a little bit. Let me tell you the bad news up front, get it out of the way. I cannot tell you when the old stone house was built. I cannot tell you with any certainty where the stones came from. I cannot tell you with any certainty who built the old stone house, but I can give you at least 10 different suppositions, myths, rumors, Stories, uh, legends, whatever word. Let me tell you what these are, and I will elaborate a bit on each one of them. Last year, when, well, let me give you the list first. One of them deals with this particular corner of the old stone house. That's one. There is a story about the carved stone, which is here on the old stone house. There is a man named Thomas Stegg who is involved with this story. There is a story about a fort, Fort Charles, that was in the general area of the land where the old stone house is. William Byrd, all three of them, one, two, and three, get involved in this story. There is a man named John Green Gatt who is involved in this history. There was a dynchronology study done and they give a particular date which of course may or may not be true. The man who is given credit for building the old stone house but I can stomp my foot on that one and say no with some certainty but I'll elaborate on that in a moment, Jacob Edgay. Um, there is a story about Chief Powhatan that he perhaps had something to do with this old stone house. (laughs) It's history. Can we really trust history? And the 10th supposition here is that, and this may be true, of course, James Lawrence Edgay, one of the members of the family that connected with this house for so many years, he died in 1903. The story in the family was that the stones came from the James River, River Rocks. This perhaps is true, but maybe it's not true. Now, let's go back and elaborate on some of them. Back to this southwest corner here. The Association for Preservation of Virginia Antiquities deeded the old stone house to the Poe Foundation last year. All of the other buildings in the complex, you can see a bit of one of the buildings here. There's a building here, but artwork took this out. Buildings in the back, all of those buildings were owned by the foundation. The old stone house was not. Part of the transfer involved a survey, and the survey indicated that this southwest corner, was almost seven inches off the grid of the map that William Mayo drew when the original boundaries of Richmond were laid off. Now, my thought is, does that mean the house was already there when Mayo drew the map and he didn't skew everything else to accommodate the old stone house and so it's a bit off? If so... That means the old stone house was built sometime before 1737 when Mayo drew the map. This carved stone here, I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit, but remember where this is, and I'll show you a close-up shortly. Uh, Thomas stick I was fascinated by some of the signatures that I found, and I will show you several of them as we go along. Uh, This was a time period, I'm losing all my cards here. This was a time period when a lot of people could not read or write. I was fascinated by the great flourish in some of the handwriting. These were certainly not timid people, these two especially, but who was Thomas Stegg? He was English. He owned ships. He was a merchant. He had a trading post on the north side of the James River. Is it possible that the old stone house was his trading post? I don't know. It's certainly a multiple choice here. Choose the answer you think you like best of all. Um, Thomas Stegg got himself in trouble several times um, when he was here in Virginia, talked about in the book but he also was a gifted man he was the first speaker of the house for what we call the general assembly now he just had one particular term when parliament chopped off king charles i's head in 16, his head in 1649 virginia was not happy about that and they let it be known Parliament sent five commissioners to subdue Virginia and make us tow the mark. This Thomas Stagg was one of those commissioners. He left England in October of uh, 1651, made it to Barbados, but did not make it to Virginia. The ship sank, so he never got here. There were other commissioners who completed the job and Virginia didn't suffer too many consequences. Um, his will that he had written before he left England left all of his property to his son. Now, this stag and this one both accumulated hundreds of acres of property. Virginia was a royal colony, and you could get land by settling here or paying the passage to, for someone else to come here, and you could be awarded Um, 50 acres. They were called patents back then. Um, We later called them land grants. They accumulated hundreds of acres. So when father died, the property went to the son. Junior was the um, auditor general for Virginia. He lived in a stone house on the south side of the river. Now back to that Fort Charles that I mentioned. Fort Charles on the north side of the river was dismantled in 1646 and the stones were taken to the south side of the river. Fort Charles on that side of the river was also dismantled. Supposition says that maybe Junior's house was made from the stones of the Fort Charles when it was dismantled. There again, the rocks may have come, the stones may have come from the James River, but we don't know. Could the stones have come from Father's ship when he was using the stones for ballast and the, the stone, the carved stone, which I'll elaborate on shortly, could have been ballast in one of his ships? We have to just play the guessing game. And we have to I think fussed at Benedict Arnold about that because when he decided to visit Richmond back in 81, he burned a lot of the papers, the courthouse just up the street from the old stone house. So a lot of the primary sources for information, they just don't exist anymore. Um, Secondary sources you perhaps can believe or not believe and I'll tell you a couple places where you don't believe them. Junior's house was called the Falls Plantation. It was in the location of the current Manchester Courthouse. Um, He was well respected enough in Virginia. There is a plaque to this day on the Manchester Courthouse honoring this man saying that he was the first permanent patentee, the land grant, uh, at the Falls here in Richmond. The stones may or may, may not have come from his ship. They may have come from the river and built the two houses, the fort, the uh, trading post, the falls plantation. We don't know, but let's move on. A family tree. This is the Thomas Stagg, the father that I was talking about. This is the Junior. Notice that Junior had no children. When he died, he left all of the hundreds and hundreds of acres of property on both sides of the James River to the son of his sister. This sister had married a bird, and you will sometimes see this bird spelled with an I. Uh, One of the wills, the uh, Junior's will, spells within the will the same piece of paper with an I one place and with a Y other places. The son, the nephew, was William Bird I. William Bird I accumulated also many, many hundreds more acres of property on both sides of the river. William Bird II, considered to be the father of Richmond, and William Bird III, all of these birds accumulated more property except for this one. He had a gambling problem. There is a bit of history, he had a lottery to sell off the property, didn't sell enough to pay his debts, went to Westover, which had been built, of course, by the time of his death, and killed himself because of the debts. Excuse me a second while I pick up my papers. She disappeared and now she came back. Okay, all right. when when various people approached this William Byrd, the two to give some of this property so that the town of Richmond could be laid out, he said no I don't think I like that idea very much and he contemplated it for about three years. He wrote about it in his journal about building two cities, Richmond and Petersburg but it took him three years to finally donate the property. When he finally did, donated the 50 acres, here's some more of the signatures. This is Bird 2 and this is William Mayo, the man who actually drew the map um, of the original boundaries of Richmond. When Mayo decided that he would give the land he put an ad in the Virginia Gazette which was a popular uh, newspaper at the time His ad, let me read it to you. And notice, I'm kind of at a funny angle here. Uh, Here, it's called the long S. There is a short S like there. There is a long list of rules and regulations that they had to follow. Like, when do you use the long form? When do you use the short form? But this is what he said. This is to give notice. I'm, I'm reading this for you. It's kind of hard to read. This is to give notice that on the north side of James River, near the uppermost landing and a little below the falls, is lately laid off by Major Mayo a town called Richmond with streets 65 feet wide in a pleasant and healthy situation and well supplied with springs of good water. It lies near the public warehouse at Shaco's, a name we still know, and in the midst of great quantities of grain and all kinds of provisions. The lots will be granted in fee simple on condition only of building a house in three years time of 24 by 16 feet fronting within five feet of the street. The lots to be rated according to the convenience of their situation and to be sold after this April general court by me, William Byrd. This is William Byrd. He didn't put the two, but this is William Byrd too. Um, One of the things on the map, this is the map, a a facsimile, this is not the original, but a facsimile of the original map that William Mayo drew up. I may not get to the right one. Am I pointing to, this is lot 32. Am I at the right angle? Um, This is where the old stone house is. Now, notice that this is a later map because this, which is labeled Main Street, was actually called E Street at the time. Franklin was called F Street, Grace was called G Street, and Broad Street was called H Street. These plats were much larger, 11, 9, 17 acres for manor houses, which perhaps is reflection of uh, Bird's association with England. He back and forth many times in his life. Um, Lots 97 and 98, this is where St. John's Church is. Uh, This is the James River, here. This is Shaco Creek, here. At one time, it was big enough that they had to have a bridge across the creek. It's now down underground somewhere. I'd love to go visit. One of the stories, back to other than the map and being called the father of Richmond, um, one of the stories says that the old stone house was built by William Byrd, can't tell you when, and it may not be true, but that it was built by him for his overseer because of the great numbers, hundreds of acres of property that he owned. Here again, the story may or may not be true. The Edge family, these are the people who owned the Old Stone House for several generations. The fact that Jacob Edge is the man credited with building the Old Stone House, this I can stomp my foot on and say no, with a certain degree of certainty, for several reasons. He did not own Lot 32 until 1742. He could not have built the property in 1737 if he didn't even own the land. He was not actually in this country until 1738. He came here from Germany. William Byrd sold the lot 32, first of all, to a man named John Greenget. Greenget did not I should not say that. He may or may not have built the old stone house. He bought the property, lot 32, in 1741, not 37. There is a legend on the map that there was a map done in 1736, but for some reason, the 1737 is the most popular date given for the drawing of the map. But there's even speculation that the 36 map and the 37 map were not actually drawn until 1742 when Richmond was incorporated as a town. But the first man who owned Lot 32 was this John Green Did he sell the property to this Jacob because he had not been able to build the house that was part of that three-year stipulation. Um, I can't tell you. I don't know. Uh, Jacob came here with his father and his brother and sister, as I said, in 1738. I'm going to talk about a couple of these people and skip a few of them for the time being and get back to them. When this Jacob died, he left his property to his son, Samuel. All of the children, Jacob, Jr., Elizabeth, others. When this Samuel died, he left the property to his children. Well, this is where we start getting really screwy with who owned the house and who lived there and whatever because Samuel gave... Half of the old stone house, which apparently was in existence by when he died in 1807, he gave half the house to Samuel H., he gave half the house to Elizabeth. (laughs) The house is about 20 feet wide. (laughs) When Samuel died, this Samuel died, he left his half of the property to his remaining brothers and sisters, which now meant that Elizabeth owned one half of the stone house and four other people owned the other half. At some point, these brothers and sisters deeded their interest in the old stone house to the children of John Enders. So look how many people now own the house a big mess, a big mess. But at some point, they deeded their property back to her, or to her, and she ultimately owned the whole house before she died. When she died, I'm gonna show you a picture of her in a couple of minutes. When she died in 1864, she gave her property to her sister, Anne and outlived her only by a year. Well, then we get all kind of screwy again um, because of nieces, nephews, grandchildren, and whatever. Um, When her husband, John Dove, a very famous doctor here in Richmond, um, when he died in 76, the only remaining child was Julia. Am I pointing to the right person? to Julia. Well, notice that she had several sons. This lady, back to her for a moment, and this niece, they are the ones most likely responsible for calling the old stone house Washington's headquarters. Washington did not have his headquarters at the old stone house. Washington was not even in Richmond. We all know that his headquarters was Yorktown. But in 1858, Richmond had put up the statue for George Washington in Capitol Square and we Virginians love George Washington. So the the excitement for George Washington was still in the air when Julia got involved with a house after her mother died, or after her father died, actually, and she inherited the property, the old stone house. Her aunt did not have written in her will the words Washington's headquarters, but at some later date, someone in a different handwriting did put in Washington's headquarters. So that's partly how that legend got started. Digressing for a moment, here's some of the other signatures. This is the Jacob, the person credited with building the old stone house. This is Junior, Gabriel Galt, John Enders. This Jacob was a silversmith. He was very interested in the Masonic Lodge and was instrumental in having it built. The Masonic Lodge that is still in existence today it's the oldest uh, continuing Masonic Lodge in the country. Um, he did jewels for the uh, Masonic Lodge at times. This man, Gabriel Galt, donated the land for the Masonic Temple that is in existence here today. John Indris, I'm going to talk about him, elaborate in a little bit. But <clears throat> pictures. This is Darthea. This is the wife of Jacob. This is her daughter, Elizabeth. If you weren't named John, William, or Elizabeth, (laughs) sometimes you say, "Okay, which one am I talking about now? This is Elizabeth, married to Gabriel Galt. This is her daughter, and this is his son. There is some color to this portrait. He is holding a yellow bird. He's got a little necklace around. There is a story about him. This portrait was done in 1802. There is a, portra- uh, a story that says that when Lafayette visited Richmond in 1824, that he held this child. And they were so enamored of Lafayette that they added Lafayette to this child's name. Well, that's not true at all. <laughs> this child and his great grandmother died in 1803. So it would have been a bit difficult, but there is a person, if we went back to the genealogy chart, there is a person um, who was a baby when Lafayette visited um, who did have Lafayette added to his name. This is the Galt's Tavern This was absolutely the center of the universe. It was one block. It was the corner of E Street which is out here and 19th Street this way. Gaul's Tavern. Very 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 popular place. If you were going to have a lottery we might call it a yard sale today. You had it in front of Gaul's Tavern. If you needed to eat you went here and had rockfish from the James River. Um, If you wanted to play billiards, you went here to Galt's Tavern. Um, Galt was a silversmith um, at one time in his career. The Jacob Jr., we talked about a moment ago, uh, was an apprentice to Gabriel Galt. But at some point, Gabriel decided to open this tavern, Well, this tavern got him in serious, serious trouble because when Benedict Arnold decided to visit Richmond, he ate dinner here. Remember that Virginia has been a royalist favored all its history. People who were all for England did not want to fight... A lot of people think that everybody's, yes, yes, let's fight England, let's get rid of them and whatever. No, there were a lot of people in the Virginia Gazette back then, there was ad after ad after ad, people leaving the colony because they didn't like the way things were going. But when Benedict Arnold and Simcoe had dinner here on January 5th of 81, people got up in arms and they went after Gabriel Galt, thinking that he was a bit of a traitor. Well, it really wasn't. It just happened that this was the best place to eat and whatever. Just last Sunday, there was an article in the Times-Dispatch about Benedict Arnold, and City Tavern is mentioned. Now, at some point, Gabriel Galt decided that he wanted to go into politics, So the man actually had three careers, the silversmith, the tavern owner, and then politics. But as a tavern owner, he could not go into politics. So he sold the tavern just a few years after he had opened it and ran for what was called then common hall. We call it city council today. Um, In 85, he ran for a seat on the common hall and won with 122 votes. Um, John Marshall was right behind him with 121 votes. Um, there were other of the Ed Gay, Gabriel Galt is by extension, part of the Ed Gay family, you might say. Um, he ran only that one term, he didn't make it the next time that there was an election. But this center of the universe this is the John Enders that I have mentioned. This is Sally or Sarah, the Ed Gay, one of the daughters of Samuel, married John Enders. John Enders at one time was considered perhaps the wealthiest man in Virginia, because of the property that he owned. For one thing, he owned warehouses um, in the general area of the original boundaries of Richmond, Dock Street, 21st, 22nd Street. Uh, There was a story that he owned an apartment house uh, between 22 and 23rd streets where Edgar Allan Poe's mother died. Well, this again, history, we can't really trust it at all. Um, The house was not even there when Eliza Poe died in 1811. It was completed, and it was an actor's boarding house, but not when Poe's mother lived there. Um, He had warehouses in, in the general area, Dock Street, and he went one day to do some work, was on a ladder, and he either fell or the ladder broke. Two different stories there, but he fell nevertheless and cracked his head and died. The family sold his property, the warehouses, to a man named Luther Libby. Luther Libby, Libby Hill is named after this Luther Libby, um, and guess what happened to those warehouses? They were turned into Libby Prison. There is nothing left there of the, the prison, except signs now that say that this is where they used to be. Samuel Age, the son of Jacob, Um, lived at various times in the old stone house. Um, He was the commissary for Lafayette during the Revolutionary War. He was a flour inspector for the Gallego flour mills or the Hacksaw, I'm not sure which. I was never able to pinpoint it. Um, He got himself in trouble a couple of times. There were times when you had to make a list of what were called your tithables, things that you could be taxed on, property that you owned, and whatever. There was at least one time when he didn't do it, so he got in trouble there. When Lafayette came in 1824 to visit Samuel, of course he couldn't visit because Samuel had died in 1807, this is when Lafayette was in the old stone house, held that baby whose name, uh, or Lafayette's name was added to that child's name. Um, Elizabeth <laughs> was the center character in a story that was written by a magazine that didn't last but three issues called The Oracle. The story is about a mooley cow, I'm not real sure what a mooly cow is, but the story has to do with apparently when Benedict Arnold came through town, Whoa! came down Main Street, and the soldiers went into the various establishments, poured all the liquor and various other things into the gutters, and the wandering cattle licked it up and got drunk (laughs) and so staggered around town. Well, Elizabeth is made the main character in this particular story. Poe's only connection, direct connection to the old stone house, as Paul said previously, Poe never lived in this house, never, even though it's called the Poe house sometimes. His connection is that he was part of an honor guard when Lafayette was here in town. And the story is that Poe was simply outside there on the street while Lafayette was visiting, having cake and lemonade on the inside. Um, Poe most likely knew that the old stone house was there because he lived and worked in the general area, but he never lived there. Just for the interest, this is Jacob Edgate Jr.'s inventory. Now, an inventory is not a will. It is simply, as it says, some of the stuff that you own. I find it fascinating that, notice some of it, four tablespoons. Do you want to do an inventory and list all of your forks and knives and spoons and this and that and the other? Um, Silversmith's tools, which of course, remember, he was a silversmith. Um, Thomas Jefferson was a client of his at various times. Um, Two of sleeve buttons. I'm not even really sure what that is. But the list fascinated me. This, this is a copy that's in the court records. Handwriting, as you can see, is sometimes very, very difficult to decipher. Their penmanship was very different. There are a couple, I found them interesting, a couple of copies of inventories in the book simply for the idea of what, what was necessary to live, to live back then. This is St. John's Church. The front is this way. This is the general area of where the Edgays, some of them, are buried. Uh, Obviously, this is a new plaque. The tall obelisk is for the Enders family, the John Enders and Sally or Sarah. Obviously, this is a new plaque, so it's easy to find. This particular stone is Anne Dove's resting place, but it's almost unreadable. The, the weather, the years. Remember, she died way back. Uh, I think that some of these other stones here are the Edgay family. One of the docents in the church several years ago told me that he thought maybe Jacob Edgay and his father, Bernard, are maybe under the church because the church was not originally the size that it is today. The church expanded and many graves were covered over. If if we could see the front door and if you've been there, you know that there are, certain, there are several stones that are literally sticking up from the brick sidewalk right by the front door. But it's also possible that Jacob and his father went to New Jersey where the brothers or the sons uh, lived or Pennsylvania, the Edgate brothers settled in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Jacob was the only one that came here uh, to Richmond. If you walk over there more, toward the back of the church, Um, the man that I mentioned a few moments ago, James Lawrence Edgay, there is a stone in the ground, not sticking up. He died in 1903. He's buried there. Um, For some reason, seemingly, St. John's Church never made a map of who's buried where. And, of course, the older the graves are, the less chance there is of reading a headstone. Back to the front of the house now. This is the carved stone that I was talking about. Represents, cross there, Jacobus Rex. Now, does this mean James I, who began his reign in 1603? Or, as some people say, it means James II, who ended his reign in 1688. Don't know. But here's some supposition. If this rock is from one of Thomas Stegg's ships, which certainly makes a certain amount of sense. Thomas Stegg, remember, was English. He could have used this stone as ballast in one of his ships, It got dumped at Manchester, just right across the river from Richmond when he didn't need it anymore and it ultimately ended up here in the old stone house. History tells us that there was a ceremony with John Smith and his men when they came up the river from what became Jamestown. Could this perhaps be the stone that was used which would indicate that This was after 1607, or during 1607. Um, Again, I can't stomp my foot and tell you which one it is. We can only guess. This is the first known picture of the old stone house of 1865. The house itself has not changed. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. Pay attention to what's on each side of the house. Ten years later, notice the difference already. difference here, let me flip back. 65, 75, the trees are gone. Back to Elizabeth Edgay, Welch. This is the last Ed Gay to live in the old stone house. This is the lady, she was 86 when she died. Her will is x Now, was she one of the people who could not write and perhaps not read? Or was she simply old and feeble and could not sign her name? But her will is the one that someone later on wrote in Washington's headquarters. The house, the drawing here of the old stone house, notice this building, very romanticized drawing. Notice that the dormers are not in the right place. Uh, Henry Howe did this drawing, interviewed Elizabeth Welsh. um, Certain facts in his story are not, well I shouldn't say facts, certain ideas in his book are not exactly true. Elizabeth and her niece, Julia Dove Isaacs, created in some way or another, probably more Julia than Elizabeth, the story about the Washington's headquarters. Julia and her son, William, created the Washington Antiquarium, uh, headquarters antiquarium. In 1858, is when Richmond dedicated the George Washington monument in Capitol Square. Julia claimed that she had several items that had belonged to George Washington. So she wanted to cash in on this. They created in the old stone house, a museum, so to speak. Charge admittance and told the story about that this was Washington's headquarters the docent in the building would point out to you the exact spot where George Washington and Lafayette were standing when the red coats came down what was called Richmond Hill at the time. The docent would also point out the rock that John Smith's head was on before Pocahontas saved him. This is all in this book. It's a 10-page little booklet. It's not very big at all about like so and about that thick. He also would point out that when you go in the Old Stone House, that the room to the left was a courthouse or a courtroom. The room upstairs was Patrick Henry's uh, office. (laughs) He also said, the docent, that the stones of the Old Stone House were built from Power Chief Powhatan's wigwam um, <laughs> that he had covered with deer skin, So I think maybe a lesson we could learn, it, don't trust history unless you can find 82 sources that all say the same thing. One of the most fascinating people connected with the old stone house was the wheelbarrow man. Obviously he was in Richmond in 78, he lef- 1878, he left Albany, New York, pushing a wheelbarrow to San Francisco. He wanted to do something that nobody else had ever done. Well, <laughs> he did it. When he got to San Francisco, William Randolph Hearst's father, George Hearst, thought, hmm. Why don't we have a contest, a race going back to New York, and I will pay the winner $2,000? Well, of course, the whole point of this was to drum up interest and subscriptions for the newspaper. Our Lyman Potter did not really and truly take place in the race coming back. He already had his reputation. He was the wheelbarrow man. He spent his time stopping here and here and here and here and here, giving his lectures because he had been collecting oddities, they call them, rocks, uh, snakes, whatever else. He also at one time had two wolf cubs that he had trained, and he carried them in the wheelbarrow when they got tired of walking. One of them died at some point. But when he finally made his way back east, the remaining cub, which was of course tame and grown a bit, was with him when he died. I am not sure that the man lived in the old stone house. Now he's here in front of the house, but I have to wonder, is he here simply because he's a visitor to Washington's headquarters? Or did he actually live here? And I question it on a second level because in um, 1881, when he was in Richmond, he had an ad in the local paper that he was giving an exhibit at 7th and Marshall displaying his oddities and you had to pay 15 cents to come to this. Well, I have to say, well, okay, if he had this house, why didn't he have his exhibit in the house? Now, that may be pure supposition on my part. Maybe he did live here, but he had accepted um, a challenge that he do the same thing, push this wheelbarrow, which apparently weighed 100 pounds all the time. By the time he got back east, this wheelbarrow was in bad shape. In the interview, the reporter who did the interview said, it doesn't appear that this wheelbarrow is going to last another 10 miles but he accepted the challenge, left Richmond, I'm not sure when, uh, late 82 or early 83, headed for New Orleans. He was killed just outside Greensboro, North Carolina, on the way down south, uh, crossing a train track. Um, The remaining pet wolf was with him um, when he was killed. Um, Again, they think by the train, uh, beside the track in a pool of blood, of course. Uh, Moving on, jumping forward a little bit. Uh, Another weakness that that I'm disappointed about, uh, I would be hard pressed to give you a running history of this person lived in the old stone house this time and this person or this family lived here at this time because they're the great big gaping holes. But in 1907, notice that things have changed You can't see much there. Things have changed. But notice what the sign says George Washington's headquarters. (laughs) That legend lived until the 20th century, which of course we're in now. These people, Archer and Annie Jones, we could give them credit for the Poe Museum being where it is today. Archer Jones owned the Duplex Envelope Company which was east of um, the Old Stone House. He wrote the APVA, Association for Preservation of Virginia Antiquities, which they now call themselves Preservation Virginia. He wrote them and said, I would like very much to rent the Old Stone House and use it for my business and also create a colonial, revolutionary war museum. And the APA, APVA wrote back and said, well, yes, you can create the museum, but you can't use it for your business. He knew people who were interested in Poe. He was interested in Poe himself. Um, and they decided that they would create, in the backyard, a shrine to Poe and they were going to use the leftover material from when the Southern Literary Messenger was demolished in 1916. Um, There was plans at some point to make the old Southern Literary Messenger a museum for Poe, but the building was in such bad shape that it was actually condemned the owner in 1916, The owner said, I will save the materials and you could use them to rebuild at some other point, which of course is what happened. Mrs. Jones was, this is his letter, I won't read all of it to you, but he says in the letter, I would like to rent it for 10 years because there's gonna be a great expenditure, which it was. Um, The man actually committed suicide, um, two reasons maybe. He spent a great, great, great deal of money doing renovations of the old stone house, but his wife had also gotten very ill. Uh, The two stories say he was depressed because of her illness. She recovered, but the expenditure, I don't think this is right, but there is a story that he committed suicide because he had spent so much money. When Mrs. Jones got involved, This is what the backyard looked like. It was literally a dump. Very, very contrary to the idea of beauty that was so important to Poe. In 1921, this is when the Jones got involved. By 1922, this is what the backyard looked like. The enchanted garden. The stones are the stones from the demolition of the Southern Literary Messenger. uh, Locks, various woodwork from the Southern Literary Literary Messenger, that was hard to say, uh, were used in the construction. There used to be a greenhouse in this particular corner. And notice, this is the back wall there. And notice that it's open. The arches, there are three of them. The arches are now closed in um, in the shrine. If this name means anything to you, we can all make faces now. If you remove the name, most of you, I could venture to say, would probably not even know who this man is. Well, this is the man who is greatly, greatly responsible for Poe having a bad name. Rufus Griswold wrote a scathing obituary when Poe died. And we humans have a tendency to want to believe the bad story before we'll believe the good story. Well, let's do a little comparison. Poe's achievements, what are they? A poet. We all know the raven. We all know Annabelle Lee. He was a noted literary critic. This is the, his criti- Poe's criticism is primarily the reason that Griswold had this thing about Poe. They spoke and there's kind of funny stories about the two of them. Um, but Poe severely criticized some work that Griswold had done and Griswold held on to this grudge. We call them tales back in Poe's time, but we call them short stories now. Of course, we all know the telltale heart of the black cat, the fall of the House of Usher. Before Poe, there were mystery stories, but there was no true detective, as we understand what a detective is supposed to do. Auguste Dupin, his detective in the story, there are stories, There's probably not a detective story, mystery story writer today who does not owe some credit to Poe and his creating the detective story. A fifth level, internationally, Poe is known on these five levels. There's probably not a science fiction writer today who does not owe and should give some credit to Poe's creating the science fiction. So, five levels, five different areas that Poe had outstanding achievements. If we go back to this man, what did he do except write the scathing obituary? I was told that I could not bring rotten fruit and vegetables because it would be such a big mess. But I think if you are so inclined Raise your hand now. Raise your hand. Goodness sakes. Pretend you have a rotten tomato in your head. (laughs) And throw it at Griswold. And Paul is telling me I'm over my time. Let me very quickly, I am sorry, I'm long winded. A Couple of pictures of Poe. Least recognizable, the most famous recognizable. Poe's tomb today. Uh, the second grave so from this we get to this if you have not been to the Poe Museum go you are treating yourself when you do go thank you I'm sorry I'm Do you know if the Joneses who owned the duplex envelope company renovated or saved any other old buildings in the city? I, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't get all of that. The, the couple, the Joneses? Yes. Who owned the duplex envelope company? Yes. Did they, um, were they active in preserving other properties in the city? I am sorry, I do not know. I'm I somewhat limited to my, my research on them to their association with the Old Stone House. I don't know. But he was very civic-minded, I, I. but I don't know. I just don't know. All right, thank you. <laughs> I understand that um, Poe did his last reading here and then went to baltimore and passed away do you know the location of his last reading? Uh, it is a house on uh, gray street in the 2300 block it, it's a lot of the houses in the fan district are brick this is a kind of set back from the street a little bit it's a wood siding house Thank you. Uh, Two questions, actually. Is is the old stone house the oldest surviving house in Richmond? Yes. And two, what were the dimensions of the house? Uh, the house is about 16 by 20, not the 24 that Byrd stipulated in his ad to sell the lots. It's very small. Well, it, yeah, it's small. <laughs> It it is. It's considered the the, uh, oldest surviving house uh, in the original confines of Richmond. The Craig House, uh, an associate of Poe, the Craig House is there. It's considered the second oldest house in Richmond. Has there been any effort to determine geologically the source of the stone? Uh, That was one part I think I skipped. There was a necronology study that was done and they dated the house as being built in 1754. My thinking is that if any of these other thoughts and theories have any credibility at all, let's say for example that the, the house was Thomas Stagg's trading post, then that 1754 date, the wood, may be because there was a repair that was done. So I I cannot, I I wish I could, I told a friend of mine once that I was having trouble finding a date for the building of the old stone house and she looked at me and she said, well, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) I I thought I would fade at that particular point. (laughs) Thank you.